I went to the mall today and there was, you know, those people there with the clipboards looking very official and important. Oh yeah. The people I try to avoid. Me too, but she caught me. So she, Mm -hmm. this, this, the lady with the clipboard comes up to me and stops me. And she asked, she says, can you spare a few minutes for cancer research? And I was like, I I mean, I guess, but we're not going to get much done. Uh, uh. (laughs) I'm guessing that's a joke you heard somewhere and you're just kind of repeating. So I have to ask, where'd you hear that one? Wow. No faith that I can come up with my own material. I mean, I've talked to you for like 30 episodes now. I want to be funny too. Is this our 30th episode? I think it might be. It is. And in all that time, I still don't have my own material. So that, that was actually from one of my favorite comedians, Jimmy Carr. Jimmy Carr. All right. <laughs> if he's one of your favorite comedians, I'm kind of curious who the uh, who the other favorite comedians might be. Well, okay. The tone of your voice makes me think as though you're not as big of a fan of his stand-up as I am. Well, we'll talk about it, I think. <laughs> All right. Um, how about this? I'll throw somebody out and you can give me the thumbs up or the thumbs down. <laughs> the verbal thumbs up or thumbs down. Okay. <laughs> Dave Chappelle? Verbal thumbs down. <laughs> uh, Louis C.K.? For real. Yeah. <sighs> is that a thumbs up? That is not a thumbs up. You know it. <laughs> uh, Ricky Gervais? Mm-mm-mm-mm. Oh, my God. This is going to be a long episode. It might be. How about Chris Rock? I- I've watched a few of his specials, and I thought they were pretty pretty okay, but I haven't watched any of his comedy in years. Mm. How about George Carlin? Yeah, I would say that I've got an appreciation for for George Carlin, for sure. All right. This episode has hope. <laughs> extra, extra, read all about it. Podcast tackles controversies that define your world. Listen to Indubitably now. Extra, extra, read all about it. We went into the intro with you giving me a thumbs down on all of my favorite comedians. (laughs) Let's for our listeners to establish some context here. Who are some of the comedians that you like? So you have to know, first and foremost, I love comedy. I genuinely have an appreciation for it. So I've got like different eras and different brands and genres of comedy that I enjoy. Okay. So the first one I would say is probably the era of when I was watching a lot of stand-up on Comedy Central in high school. So the premium blend era, the 30 minute comedy special era on Comedy Central. So the Janine Garofalo's, Margaret Cho's, Kathleen Madigan, Louis Black. Louis Black, I like, but I'm I'm a little bit, there was, there was stand-up comedy before Netflix. Yeah, this is wild. So Comedy Central used to have comedy on it and MTV used to have (laughs) music videos on it. It was a different world. (laughs) Go figure. All right. So that's one era. And then I would say my like medium era would be the comedy I've discovered through British panel shows, which is fitting because we're going to talk about Jimmy Carr, I think. But that's how I learned about comedians such as Catherine Ryan and Greg Davis and James A. Castor and Ed Gamble. And the comedy I enjoy from them is a bit more the interactive conversational type of comedy. So the actual panel shows and then the podcasts that they do. I am a I am a fan of the trash talking that goes on in those panel shows like top-notch insults yeah i think i would do very well 
on those channel <laughs> shows. And then my more recent appreciation in comedy is a little bit more of the confessional comedy. So Hannah Gadsby, Moses Storm, Gerard Carmichael, people who have a very good humorous element to their comedy, but it's also got a lot of resonance and vulnerability in it. Can we at least agree that Amy Schumer is horrible? Oh, absolutely. I I legitimately hate Amy Schumer. <laughs> All right. I'm glad it's not just me uh, saying it. <laughs> you know, for an episode here about comedy, jokes, what the limits should be, how we should respond to them. Obviously, the most recent event that sparks conversations like this is the Chris Rock Will Smith episode. We're not trying to jump on the bandwagon here, <laughs> uh, but I do think that that incident raises a couple of really timeless questions when it comes to comedy that we're, we're planning on covering in this episode. One is can, and if so, when do jokes go too far? And number two is if they can, and they do go too far, what should our response to them be? Yeah. And we've been thinking about this actually for months now, and we keep coming back to this conversation because it's one of the areas where we legitimately have some differing opinions. Let's get into the meat of this. First question, can, and if so, when do jokes go too far? And I think it's probably important to break this down into maybe two sub-questions. One being, are there certain subject areas that should be untouchable in comedy? And the second one being, are there specific jokes that take things too far? Those can be two pretty hefty topics. It might be easier for us to find some common ground on the topic of the specific jokes. I mean, we should approach that one first. Specific jokes can suck. <laughs> like There are some specific jokes that are just bad, uh, especially when they are, whether intentionally or not, trying to be offensive or trying to have shock value. Yeah. Uh, let's bring up our favorite Amy Schumer again. She complained about hosting the Oscars because some of the jokes she wanted to tell were restricted, including... Her joke uh, as a play on the title of Don't Look Up, Don't Look Up, more like Don't Look Down the Barrel of Alec Baldwin's prop shotgun. That was a joke she wasn't allowed to tell, which is neither funny <laughs> nor a very nice thing to say, like someone died. I think between the two of us, I have more of a problem with the fact it's not funny. Yeah. What's the, what's the bigger offense here? That it's not funny or that it's a joke that plays upon the fact that somebody literally died on a film set? So specific jokes, especially if they're trying to tap into offensive material, I think that it's in bad taste because you get the sense that the comedian might just be trying to get that viral clip or that attention brought to them just by saying something without any consideration of the group or the people that they're talking about. And I think that's what just feels off about particular jokes when they're executed poorly? Yeah, I think that it's utilizing comedy for the wrong purposes. I do think that there's an integrity to the art form and trying to manipulate it so that you get attention, negative attention, any kind of attention is putting the cart before the horse in the job of comedy. And I don't appreciate it on that metric alone, 
but then the kind of offense that it causes is also a pretty big issue. Yeah. I mean, throughout the episode, I'm going to be for, for my side talking about the various positive impacts that can come from even making offensive jokes. And that's part of the justification for why, you know, to give a preview here, I don't think that there's very many subject areas that should be off limits, but telling a joke about a particular group to bring attention to that group or to, to make your audience think is one thing. Victimizing a group with your material so that you can just make money is something entirely different. I guess we do have some similar opinions when it comes to that specific area of this discussion. <laughs> okay, we're starting from a good point here. Then now we can start ripping each other's head off. But on on this though, you know, I do think there's a question: Does the intent of the comedian matter? Let's say a comedian is trying to make a point. They're trying to do all the right things. They're not just doing it to offend or just to bring attention or make money, but they're just really bad at comedy. <laughs> So there's no malice here. There's no selfishness here. Does the intent of the comedian even matter? Or is it more important the way that the joke is received by the audience that hears it? You know the rules of soccer as well as I do. You kick the round thing into the square thing and you know you get a point. And if you get one point in an hour, you win. Mm, generally, yeah. But one of the things when it comes to penalties and things like yellow cards is that the intent doesn't matter. The fact that a risk was taken, something happened that resulted in hurt or injury or um, something that even could put a player into position of hurt or injury, even if it didn't actually hurt them. Those are things that are penalized in, in soccer. And I think that that's an important thing to consider is because even if the intention wasn't there to hurt anybody, people do get hurt. And when people get hurt, that's real. So I don't think it, the intention matters as much as the results when it comes down to, especially like marginalized groups. I, I think that their perceptions are valid. I guess we'll get into this discussion more later, but that, that, that is a little bit problematic because you're asking comedians to sort of recognize hey, I might be into comedy and I'm trying to make this a career, but I'm probably just not good enough to take on this subject matter. And that's kind of a crappy thing to do. Be like, hey, I know that this is your life, but <laughs> you need to tone it down because you're not very good at this. So just stick to the safe stuff. Yeah, start off with jokes about airplane food, get good. And then you can start talking about, I don't know, people who don't have the same characteristics you do. That's the progression of this job. Or you could be Jim Gaffigan and just talk about food your entire career. Hey, you know, if you have a successful model and there's one specific food that is very weird on the market, yeah, I get it. You're not going to get any pushback from me on the idea that specific jokes can suck. But here's, I think, the distinction. I think that these specific jokes suck because the execution is poor, because the motivation is poor, because there's no point behind them. I don't think that they're poor because of the subject matter. I think that they happen to deal with potentially controversial subject material, but the fact that they suck is not related to that. So I think subject matter of the two things we've, we've mentioned is by far the bigger of the two conversations here. Yeah, absolutely. There are so many different identities at stake and a lot of people who make their living attacking, in my opinion, some of these identities. Mm. One thing that gets me 
And you'll hear this a lot for any of the, maybe it's just the comedians I've listed because these are the ones I like, but they talk about responses they've gotten from the audience. And almost every one of these comedians has a joke where it goes along the lines of X person was listening to their show and thought they were hilarious, except for this particular joke. That one joke that that audience member thought crossed the line. There are some comedians who kind of inhabit both worlds of being good and funny and not really offending people, and then good and funny in your opinion, but also probably offending people. And I would say Jimmy Carr, uh, fittingly, is one of the comedians that is like that. He kind of toes the line when he's doing panel show gigs. He's not being super offensive to anybody. He's been a little pushing the boundaries, but not quite as bad as his actual standup. I tried watching his standup because I enjoyed his panel show presence so much, and I could not get through his standup. It was it was too much. I think the panel shows are interesting and and might be okay because everybody on those panels is a comedian and everybody there has kind of like signed up for the trash talking and they can all give as good as they take. But it is curious to me, the response from audience members of the, I like your whole show, except for this one particular joke, because I happen to identify with that group is almost universally the issue. So it's cool when you laugh at or poke fun at all these other people that I don't identify with. But then when you talk about my group, now it's not okay. Is that a valid way to make a decision on when jokes go too far? I personally was offended because this one happened to target me. If that's the only criticism that people have, I would say that it's an incomplete criticism, that they're not defending other people who may be in the crosshairs of that particular comic. It doesn't mean that that comic didn't cross a line when talking about their group. But I do think people are going to prioritize their own interests above everybody else in most cases. Sure. But doesn't that seem a little bit hypocritical? You go to a comedy show, you're willing to laugh at everybody else, but then you're not able to laugh at yourself. I mean, in in that case, isn't the audience member the same as the comedian in a certain sense? Where they're in on all of the other jokes, they're an active participant when it comes to laughing at other groups of people. But like the panel show, if Jimmy Carr insults one of the panel members, Greg Davis, for example, Greg Davis isn't going to be like, well, I was up here laughing when you were making fun of everybody else. But now that you turn the attention to me, it's not okay anymore. Yeah, I would say that is hypocritical, which is why you need people like me who are just going to be offended on everyone's behalf. (laughs) All right. At least you're consistent. I'll I'll give Mm -hmm. you that. I'm also consistent just on the other end of the spectrum. (laughs) This panel show, I think, is interesting because everybody sitting on the panel is unequal. They're all part of the same community, this comedy community. And so that makes them acceptable targets. So even if you get real mean, it always seems like it's in good fun. It always seems like it's acceptable. And I think that that leads us to a concept that may be one of the most famous concepts when it comes to what jokes are acceptable or what subject matters are acceptable. And that's the idea of punching up versus punching down. Yeah. Punching down just to kind of frame the discussion is often thought of as making jokes at the expense of people who do not have as much power or status in society. And it's seen as unfair because they don't have the same venue to defend themselves in. 
and they're already experiencing hardship in life and you're just adding on to the burden by, you know, giving them shit from a mic. Punching up is often seen as more of the purpose of comedy if it has a social purpose other than entertainment. And that would be things like speaking truth to power. A lot of the comedy that you saw around Donald Trump's presidency would be considered punching up and, you know, kind of taking the piss out of him because he has power that needs to be chipped away at because he's doing so many bad things with it. That would be what people would generally consider to be punching up maybe like the reason to do comedy. I think that's why politicians are such a, I don't even think you'll disagree that politicians are a okay subject matter, like let it loose, let them know what you think. Or if there happen to be people who like to frequently talk trash on someone like Jeff Bezos, who may or may not be on this podcast. Who might have that kind of a <laughs> habit? I don't know. Um, but, you know, we don't we don't really feel bad when we trash Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk because, one, they're never going to hear us. They don't care or know who we are. And so that certainly falls into the category of punching up. The idea of punching down is not that simple, though. And I think that besides the Chris Rock and Will Smith incident a few months back, Potentially the other headline news story that might bring this conversation into the mainstream was Dave Chappelle's special, um, where obviously that elicited some pretty critical responses, particularly from the trans community. Again, with the concept that he is punching down on that particular community. Yeah, I watched the special, which I did not want to. but I wanted to be able to comprehensively look at what the actual material was. And he made some points that I did agree with about how some people will weaponize their whiteness and they want to be a marginalized group until it doesn't fit them anymore, like some members of the gay community. But a good deal of his material seemed to be deliberately misunderstanding a lot of the trans experience And then, you know, misgendering people, making fun of anatomy, all of these other things that were just, they weren't funny to start with, in my opinion. And I just think it really wasn't fair (laughs) to these people Mm. who are having socially so many horrible things happen to them at the hands of their communities and the government and everybody in America who's just making it suck to live their truth. Mm Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think, you know, the point that he's making, for, for those of you, if you haven't seen the special, I suppose watching the special would certainly make this conversation make more sense to you. But he definitely went out and made a good section of jokes at the expense of the trans community. But then, to be fair here, at the same time, I think that, again, whether or not it's valid is a discussion we'll have to have right now. But his point was that he feels as though his community, and this is literally what he ends the special with, he ends the special asking the trans community to, quote, please stop punching down on my people. And I think he's identified his people as both the African-American community and also comedians as a whole. And so what makes punching down or punching up I think a difficult concept to wrangle with is it's very hard to measure 
which groups and which identities are above or below each other. And there are people who can inhabit both aspects of the punching up and punching down dispute. First, he ignores a lot of things about intersectionality, considering there are a lot of trans people who are also people of color. But let's look back at the example of Donald Trump. It's absolutely punching up to make fun of his policies and the way that he advocates like on behalf of really horrific things in public. That's punching up, but punching down might be things like making fun of his appearance. So you can then definitely make jokes just about basically anybody, but it's the kind of joke in itself that also can categorize it as punching up or punching down. Mm. That's interesting because I, I certainly think if we were to, as he maybe asks us to, and, and I'm not I'm not convinced. This is separate from saying that this subject material should be off limits but I'm not convinced that what he's doing in terms of pitting various identities against each other is healthy. But to ask the question of, is the African-American community more victimized than the LGBTQ community, vice versa? I think the answer would clearly be like in some ways, yes, and in some ways, no. So it was what you're suggesting is that a comedian should be able to parse out here's the areas in which it's okay to maybe make fun of that community. And here's areas in which it's not okay to make fun of that community. Yeah. I think if they're good enough, they can. So are there specific using the Chappelle special as maybe the most relevant or at least recent example of this controversy? Are there specific jokes where you think maybe it's okay to talk about trans people, but not okay to talk about them in this particular way or, or make a joke about this particular aspect of them? Yeah, I think that there's a really big focus on his special where he kind of invalidates trans identity quite a bit, where he talks about it as being like a woman-ish, like with Caitlyn Jenner, who he misgenders and calls by their dead name for starters. But then he mentions that um, Caitlyn Jenner, who he also calls a wonderful person, which we all know is not true. <laughs> he he calls into question why Caitlyn Jenner won woman of the year. And said that would be like if Eminem had won like Black Person of the Year, which Eminem is not claiming to be a Black person and does not consider himself to have a non-white identity. And so he, he, Dave Chappelle, takes a lot of the trans experience and disqualifies it from the identity that people genuinely believe is true for themselves, all the while claiming to think this is okay. I'm not actually punching down. I have respect for these people. I would say that you clearly don't have respect for people if you're talking about them in this way, because the fundamental aspect of respecting the trans experience is like acknowledging that it's a truth. I'm curious though, because in the special, I actually went through it and wrote down every group that he quote attacked, or let's just say, you know, included in his jokes. And he made fun of Detroit, Catholic priests, victims of Catholic priests, attacks on Asians, Magic Johnson, the Jewish community, Mike Pence, white trash, women, specifically feminists, veterans, and you mentioned, obviously, Caitlyn Jenner and the trans community as a whole. Do you think that he doesn't respect 
those groups of people. I mean, he belongs to some of those groups of people. I think there are some of those groups he definitely does not respect. Mike Pence. <laughs> the Mike, I will admit, I laughed. At good Mike, on that one. <laughs> I laughed at the Mike Pence joke, and I feel bad about it because if Mike Pence is gay, it's not our job to pull, pull him out of the closet. That's not good. But yeah, I mean, it was kind of funny to see Mike Pence get made fun of. But is that a, so? Is that an example? Kind of going back to our conversation earlier, is that an example of a subject matter that probably shouldn't be funny, but if it was executed well enough? it becomes okay? Mm, no, because even though I did think in the moment it was funny, I I felt shameful for finding it funny. And you, I'm just going to err on the side of caution. <laughs> I never want to offend anyone ever. Mm. That's that's the Kelly way. Uh, so I, I would say that that's not going to be, be cool ever. Mm-hmm. But to answer your question, I don't think he respects feminists. That's for sure. See, I I disagree on that one. I think that, and this is why I asked the question earlier, and we can maybe revisit it. Do we think that intent matters? And obviously, we'll never know. Dave Chappelle, whether you find his comedy funny or acceptable or not, it's, it's undeniable that he's incredibly talented as a performer. And what that means is, he might be a raging asshole and just making a career off of being likable to the majority of people. Uh, we'll be talking about Will Smith a little bit later. And Will Smith has made a career out of being incredibly likable. And that might be out the window now. So maybe this is all a lie, right? I'll preface this with that. But there are certainly some decisions that Dave Chappelle has made throughout his career that I think would suggest he puts thoughts of victimization and power structures and how he fits into them and and how to escape them uh, as a very important part of his identity and his thought process and i i just it's hard for me to see a person that's made those decisions um in relation to himself and then not believe that he has some sense of empathy for other groups who would be in a similar situation i don't know if it's that nuanced i don't know I think that I am looking at a Gen X comedian who understood the world to be a certain way when they were at the peak of success and the way that things were acceptable then that aren't now. And it conflicts so much with how they've constructed the world in their mind that trying to operate within these new confines and constructs is too much to handle. And he's veering into the complete opposite direction of his original satirizing of the powerful. I don't want to focus too much on Dave Chappelle specifically, because this is obviously criticism that could be applied to multiple comedians across the board. But because it's just too good of an example, do you not buy the the fairly substantial part of the routine where he talks about Daphne Dorman, who is the trans comedian? And we can we can talk a bit more about the story, but the end of the story, well, the middle of the story, I suppose, is her asking him as he's on stage, I don't need you to understand me, but I just need you to believe that I am having a human experience. And his answer to that is, I believe you. It takes one to know one. Do you not think that he, and again, this is not about Dave Chappelle. So this question 
for various comedians is obviously going to have a, a different answer. But do you believe in this case or does it matter in general if a comedian is able to relate to the people of the group that they're making fun of? And if so, does it make it okay for them to include that group in their routines or target that group? I just don't buy that he actually believed that she was having a human experience and he could still tell all the jokes that he did about her community. So I guess the whole premise is is flawed then. If if he really truly identified with her human experience, I think he would be more respectful of her and people like her who are human. And so you think that that would apply across the board then like I said, not not just Dave Chappelle, but so that would seem to suggest that you think that any comedian who can make jokes about whatever community cannot at the same time respect that community. They can make jokes about whoever they want. And they can they can make jokes about whatever they want. That's not we're not talking about banning them or anything like that. That's antithetical to everything I believe. But I'm talking about making specific jokes that further not only their actual victimization in society, but legitimize other people being passive towards their victimization. That's where I think there's a big problem. And I think that's a at the heart of his special is he's claiming I don't disrespect people like this. I believe that they're having a human experience but I am parroting rhetoric that is the basis for anti-trans laws all across this country. I just don't buy, I just don't buy that he's got the empathy or understanding. So what about, and I understand this could potentially be tokenistic, but this, this same um, trans comedian, Daphne Dorman, that he cites, whether we believe it or not, she certainly seems to believe that he respects her. And he, he cites a tweet that she put out And the tweet reads, um, this is from Daphne towards Dave Chappelle, that punching down requires you to consider yourself superior to another group. Dave Chappelle doesn't consider himself better than me in any way. He isn't punching up or punching down. He's punching lines. That's his job. And he's a master of his craft. You know, this is a part of the community. And obviously, she's, she's not representative of the entire community. I understand that. But she is part of the community. And she has had this direct relationship and experience with him. And she is certainly supportive of not just him and his intentions, but also his material. What does that mean to you? A couple of different things. First, he goes on at length about how she's a shitty comedian. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that we should necessarily trust that she understands the mechanics of punching up and punching down if she's individualizing it like this, that he doesn't disrespect me. Therefore, he is not punching down against the trans community is is faulty logic. And he finishes this. The reason I said this is kind of the the middle of the bit, not the end of it, is he finishes this bit apparently after this tweet. And he admits he's not sure if this is related or not. But a week or so after this tweet, uh, she ended up completing suicide. And he finishes this section about her with a joke saying that. He thought that she was a female, but she went to the top of a building. She jumped off. That's how she died. And he says only a man would do some, quote, gangster shit like that. If she has given him permission to make these kinds of jokes, and this joke is directly targeted towards her, but obviously has implications on the community that she's part of, does that change your mind at all? Is that an acceptable joke about? 
trans people considering that it's it's almost that she has ownership of it? Well, you know, I'm going to say that it's inappropriate to assume the mindset of somebody who's dead, especially when it's such a controversial issue. So no, I don't think he's got permission to do this. When I heard that joke, I kind of asked myself, seeing as though I'm of the same mentality as a Chappelle, potentially, or Daphne, potentially, what if I died? And obviously I wouldn't know I'm dead. But if I died, would I want people making jokes about it? And I don't think it would bother me. I think I would be happy to be remembered in that way rather than this somber or sorrowful way. I think that even if the joke was for Daphne and she would quote unquote own the joke, the moment that he takes that joke into a public realm, he collectivizes it, that he makes the joke everybody's joke and that people who perceive harm from it, who identify with the same experiences that Daphne had experienced, get to have ownership of that joke as well. And if they perceive harm from it, they experience harm from it then he has done harm. But I think this is a recipe towards us just running to the lowest common denominator, or I suppose the safest common denominator, where for fear of offending a certain group of people, another group of people doesn't get to express themselves or deal with their identity, punching up, punching down, victimhood, place in society, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in the way that they feel is best for them. I think that's problematic. But I think there are ways to hash out a lot of the experiences and identity conflicts that people have in a way that does not actually victimize other people. I'm thinking specifically of Gerard Carmichael's special in which he actually comes out as gay and he is a gay black man and he's working through his identity with that and the disdain he felt from his community, from black women, because he dated a white man and how that really altered his perceptions of how to work within both of the spheres of being a black person and being a gay person. And then the disapproval he felt from his mother and all these other things, he's working through his identity and he's working through the comparative of other people's experiences, specifically people who have more power over him. And he's not punching down on anybody in that entire process. It sounds like your conclusion of this and I, I can see I can see this as an acceptable or reasonable compromise here. When it comes to subject matter being acceptable or not, maybe society at large speaks about it too broadly. Like, okay, the trans community is off limits. When in reality, it's a matter of if comedians can parse out where the trans community in an intersectional fashion, say, do experience privilege. If they are potentially, you know, a white trans individual or a white member of the LGBT community, as Chappelle points out, that gets to call the cops when they're in trouble. In that case, a member of the African-American community might be punching up talking about them. But when it comes to other things like, um, you know, certain identity traits that are the basis for particular exclusionary laws that might be being written in those cases that very same person in that other identity group would be punching down in relation to the other community. Yeah. I think a talented comedian can navigate that really difficult yet artful balance. I think that there is nobody that you cannot make fun of. 
but it's just finding the thing that is actually appropriate to make fun of them about that I think shows dedication to the craft and being really smart and intelligent. I think that punching down, going for some of the obvious stuff is for all of the things I've already said about the nature of it being offensive and whatnot at its basis, it's just lazy comedy. And that's maybe almost as offensive as the actual hurt that it causes. Good comedy is great comedy and it's not good comedy to punch down. We can definitely agree on that one. I am offended by bad comedy. So even if I agree with you that, because I don't want to lose this conversational debate that we're having, even if I agree with you that there is areas of subject matter that we can identify as punching down and that those would be the closest we can get to off limits. I do want to ask the question of what is the goal of identifying something as off limits with, even though I know you've been careful to say that you're not suggesting that anybody shouldn't make particular jokes, or you're not saying that you would stop somebody from making particular jokes. I think that the logical conclusion of that argumentation is if these jokes would be damaging, at the very least, we would prefer if they were not made. So my question is, what is the goal of those jokes being preferred to be or just outright eliminated from discourse? And I think I've identified two. You could tell me if you think these are fair or not. The first one would be individual protection or individual healing for members of communities or victims of particular occurrences. And the second one would be to make an effort to shift societal perception or societal norms in a healthier direction. Would those be fair as like two goals for the conversation? Yeah. If we're talking about this, getting to a point where these jokes just aren't made anymore, I think that that would enable both of these goals to be met because one cannot effectively heal as an individual if they're constantly being re-injured by things like offensive comedy that is helping people justify their biases against them. And then with societal shift, I just thinking about like all the movies that were really popular when I was growing up that made fun of a lot of these people and how everything just got laughable. Like it was funny, like being gay was funny because it was funny in all these other contexts. And that meant that those people were laughable, that they weren't legitimate members of society and extrapolating beyond that and not accepting gay people was the norm when, you know, I was growing up. If those jokes aren't made anymore, it is much more difficult to otherize people like that because they aren't constantly the butt of these types of, of jokes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's, let's start with the idea of the individual, because I think I have responses to all of those things. and. Individual, like we said, either protection or healing would be the goal. Going back earlier, kind of to the Daphne Dorman conversation, I think that there are a lot of people, myself would be included in them, that see the need to hide from jokes or words about a particular identity or occurrence that you've gone through as sort of reinforcing a victimhood mentality and to really heal from something and really empower yourself from something, it would be to put yourself in a position where these things can't hurt you anymore. 
And while I understand that for a, a good section of the population, they're either not ready for this to happen or they don't share this viewpoint, they, they just, their minds don't work this way. There are plenty of people out there that do. And taking these jokes away and taking these ideas away robs them of their ability to get over trauma in the way that they would prefer. If other people who are not sharing their experiences are making jokes that further their trauma and are trying to decide for them how they should be processing their trauma. I don't think that that is how that works. But, but I think you're missing the point that, right. Everybody that goes to a Jimmy Carr show knows this is the kind of humor that he's going to bring up. Everybody that goes to the Louis CK show, Dave Chappelle, Amy Schumer, whoever knows that this is the comedian they're getting. And if I know that I've had something happen or I'm part of a group that falls into one of those tropes that's likely targeted by a comedian, I go into that show knowing that. And it's cathartic to a certain point to to hear somebody talk about those things, know that I'm in the group they're discussing and know that I don't care. I can see the humor in it. I can go out and I can live my life. I can go to a comedy show. I can laugh about it and not let it affect me. I think that that is the exception to the rule. I think that most people who have had these experiences would prefer to hear jokes about those experiences from people who have also had those experiences. There are trans comedians, there are gay comedians, there are intersectional comedians. I I think that if they're going to approach healing through humor that way, they're probably better suited by people who are representative of them. I know you probably disagree with me on that point, but I think that that's probably the best way if you're talking about humor as a healing mechanism. Again, I think that the audience self-selects, right? It's not that you go to a show and then, oh shit, they made an offensive joke. I didn't see that coming. How do I deal with it? (laughs) I'm bald. I'm white. I've gotten too much sun in my life. My skin's a little bit too red. If I want to go and see Bill Burr because he looks like me (laughs) make jokes, I can do that. But I can also go watch Dave Chappelle, who might make fun of white trash. And even though I like to think I'm classy now, I've come from a pretty trashy background. And uh, I think it's funny to hear him talk about it, too. And he's not part of my community. He's punching down to people who are socioeconomically disadvantaged as compared to him. And I'm here for it. I'm not directing people to go seek comedy from people who have their shared experiences, but I am assuming that that's what they would prefer if they're looking to heal through humor, that they would prefer to heal with someone who's experienced something similar to what they've experienced. I I just think that proving or feeling impervious to those jokes and that content, no matter where they come from, no matter when you hear them, and just knowing that you have beaten whatever it is, is incredibly valuable to a certain subsect of people. I'm not saying that that's the majority of people. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a small minority of people. But I also think that for that minority of people, taking away the opportunity to do that would be damaging. And considering that you can self-select what jokes you listen to and what comedians you listen to and which ones you don't. I think that having comedians out there that might be offensive to 90% of the population, but really serve a valuable purpose to 10% is useful. 
for the 10% of people who find healing through that sort of experience, I don't think that's the only way that they can experience healing. Maybe they should try therapy. As long as the therapist is funny. I think we are probably going to quibble about the individual nature of this relationship to comedy and being marginalized or represented or whatever, probably forever. But I think the bigger and more important conversation is about how this works on a macro level in society as a whole, when we're looking at groups instead of just the individual. Ultimately, I believe it does more harm than good to have punching down exist in comedy to this degree, because the type of rhetoric that emerges in punching down or is parroted in punching down is the type of rhetoric that emerges in other arenas in which people are going to be marginalized, such as the educational system, such as municipal laws that ban trans people from bathrooms, and all the way up to the federal level. This type of rhetoric may be a joke, but it is very much a neighbor of the type of policy and public discourse that is actively hurting people. Yeah, I I agree with that. And there's definitely some harms, again, if if we say that the subject material is acceptable and then more comedians try to tap into it and many of them do it poorly or clumsily, there's a danger there. But I also think there's a danger for certain groups having these just dogmatic theologies, meaning that there are certain ideas that we are not willing to examine or make themselves just untouchable. No one can talk about us. We are off the table. I think that that's equally problematic. And in the in the Chappelle example, I, I think that you know that's the sense that I get is that it's a community saying we are not willing to engage in any sort of discourse whatsoever. Period. Discourse that originates from Dave Chappelle. Period. Discourse originating from that community itself. Yeah, probably they are willing to have that conversation. So what if a trans comedian had performed Dave Chappelle's set? My point being, is it the material or the identity? We, we asked about intention earlier. I think that if a trans comedian is making jokes that lampoon the trans community, that is for the trans community to arbitrate themselves with the comedian in question. And so the answer would be the same set performed by a different person would be acceptable. On, on a specific subject matter that they could actually claim identity with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that that's interesting, though, in the way that it interfaces with some of the things you said earlier when we're talking about intent, because the way that the audience receives a joke is going to be important for what we're talking about here in terms of ability to heal versus be offended or re-victimized by material or society shifting in a positive or negative direction. If these are direct results of the way that jokes are received, then I'm not sure why it would matter who says them. Like, obviously, that would change the message a bit, but the content itself is still the content and the ideas are still the ideas. It's like I can talk a lot of shit about my brother, and I do. But if somebody else talks shit about my brother, what gives them the right to talk about my brother, you know? But is that a decision that? you should be able to make or your brother should be able to make, i.e. the you would be the comedian and your brother would be the audience in this analogy. 
in, in this analogy, I get to make the decision. <laughs> but there, there's an ownership over it. Even if you're not the person who's at the center of the joke, the the proximity to the nexus of the joke is what matters. How do we answer that question, though, when the community is divided? Obviously, there's different, I'll call them sects within the uh, feminist community that have various opinions on, on a multitude of things. And when that community doesn't have a uniform decision as the consumers of comedy or the consumers of ideas, how do we come to a decision on what is acceptable and what's not? Is it a vote? Like 51% of feminists think that this joke was funny so everybody can make it. Then they're still in the process of figuring it out. There's no time limit on this type of discourse. And feminism, especially, we're using that example, has experienced a lot of growing pains. It's <laughs> think about the the advances that women have made in Western society and have yet to make in Western society. Like the work of feminism's not done for even white women, but especially not for women of color. The 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 debates within the community are enduring when it comes to anything. And then comedy itself also is an enduring debate. They're going to get to an answer eventually, just probably not anytime soon. And and isn't that the the point of at least good comedy? Like we've already said, shitty comedy, lazy, sucks. This is not what we're talking about. But isn't that the point of good comedy is to start conversations or elicit conversations in that in a, in a different medium than the news or an academic journal or a novel written by somebody or any of Oprah's shows, right? It, it, it's a different way to have these conversations because even the Chappelle special, it made some jokes that it would be hard to argue have cathartic value for the trans community. But at the same time, you can question his intentions. I'm not going to pretend to know. You can question the execution, but he is putting out big messages there talking about empathy, talking about the human experience, recognizing the struggles of other people. So that conversation that you're saying has to happen, comedy can facilitate that if we keep this subject material, you know, quote unquote, acceptable. I don't buy that that's the only way that it can be accomplished. I also don't buy it's the only way, but I do buy that it's one of many effective ways. Well, I don't think we're ever going to agree with each other on that point. (laughs) All right. So For the sake of the second part of the episode, I'm going to capitulate to your side and say that there are certain jokes that cross a line because then we get to answer the question of when a joke does cross the line, what should the response be? And I think the easiest response is don't listen to those comedians. Like I said earlier. Yeah, I tried that. And then I made you listen to them. And then I had to listen to fucking Chappelle for this episode, Josh. I think that all of our listeners should appreciate the work that that Kelly has done. All right, Kelly, I'm going to, for you, listen to any comedy special that you give me once we're done with this recording. Okay, I'll have to think long and hard about which one. I'm going to make sure it's like really very leftist, very PC, (laughs) doesn't offend anybody. And people will probably cry on stage at some point. They'll get choked (laughs) up. It's going to be so painful for you. (laughs) I I, I mean, I'm left. I'm just a reasonable leftist, not like a feminist leftist. Oh, God. (laughs) So the easiest response would be don't listen to it. But I, I get 
that while I say that the ideas that might be put out in a comedy special with some of the names of comedians as big as the ones we're talking about are still going to have an impact on public discourse. So while on the one hand, I am saying like, all right, you don't have to consume it directly. I'm also acknowledging that there's a good chance that you would still be affected by it. One thing I'm going to guess that we agree on is that the response to a joke, a hurtful joke, maybe is not a literal slap in the face. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, we did say that we didn't want to jump on the Chris Rock, Will Smith bandwagon, but I think we would be remiss not to talk about it at all. Well, I think that it's broadened a lot of discussion about the limits of comedy and a lot of comedians talking about this becoming normalized, meaning they would do their normal comedy and then somebody would feel empowered to physically respond to them. I don't think that that's very likely, but if people do feel offended by comedy, as we've established, they often do. And some people are impulsive and irrational. Could they? On the Will Smith thing specifically, I don't condone hitting anybody. I'm not that alpha toxic male, but I am curious if the choice is between being slapped or canceling somebody's entire career, why necessarily is a physical assault worse than ending somebody's career? There are very few comedians who have been fully canceled. I do think that they experience economic repercussions if they're just not funny enough to justify how offensive they are and no longer can get booked or get, you know, specials or deals with Netflix. So is there a dollar amount? I mean, this would change for everybody. Is there a dollar amount that you think the financial hit would supersede? Like I would rather be slapped than lose X amount of money. I think any comedian would prefer to be slapped full stop because it makes them the sympathetic one. All right, let's say this happens and nobody finds out about it then. My point is that The same community that was willing to cancel or at least attempt to cancel whether they were successful or not, various comedians over various things that they've said, or to take this out of comedy for a second, somebody like Gina Carano, the actress on The Mandalorian, who was canceled from the show based on some problematic tweets that she had sent out. Like what makes that crowd okay with that action, but then feel like they're in a position where they can condemn Will Smith for slapping Chris Rock. It is okay for people to experience consequences of their free speech that do not otherwise infringe their rights. Being hit as a result of your speech might only be appropriate if you're literally engaging in fighting words and provoking it. I don't think that Chris Rock had an expectation that he was actively provoking Will Smith. I think that he thought he was making a joke in good nature and not crossing any lines, but you know, he did hurt people, but the response to hurting people should be like learning and growth and like having discourse and maybe not getting invited back to host an award segment or something. Again, I don't think physical repercussions would be appropriate in that context. So yeah, get people get fired for saying shitty things. And that's totally reasonable. Mm. I feel that's just like using the tools of capitalism to slap somebody. And that makes it acceptable because we've just built a society around those concepts of money when I would much rather just get hit. On the subject of being canceled, 
I know that he wasn't canceled for his material, but rather his actions offstage. But Louis C.K. was certainly canceled effectively for a period of time, at least until recently he came back and won a Grammy for his material. Yeah. The material which discussed the thing that he had previously been quote unquote canceled for. But I think this is interesting because in the special that he won the award for, he he's literally showing. And again, I guess it's impossible to tell intentions here, but he is literally spreading the message of the lesson that he was supposed to have learned through the cancellation and using his comedy to do it. Doesn't that seem like a win? Is the point of cancel culture to just eliminate them forever? Or is the point to teach a lesson where hopefully they can become a better person, understand what they've done wrong, and then come back from that situation? The Scorpio in me has made a few appearances throughout the course of indubitably Mm -hmm. thinks that once you do something that crosses a line that egregiously, you're done for good. And if he had really learned his lesson and was actually regretful of everything he had done, he would just have stayed out of the public realm forever, forsaken any chance to profit off of his his growth. The fact that he comes back in a comedy special that he makes money off of and then wins an award for, I think undermines the validity of the lesson that he supposedly has learned. Mm-hmm. So that begs two questions. One, I, I do agree with you, and, and it, it makes it hard for me to make the intention argument on his behalf when he is profiting off of this very clearly. But you know, you had just said in our conversation about slap versus cancel that very, very few people get canceled completely. Maybe that would change if the Scorpion you got their way. But let's put the intention aside for a second. The material that he came up with was very literally this is what I did. And here's why I thought it was okay. And if you are ever in that situation, here is why that is the wrong fucking decision. And here is the right decision to make. Do you not think that that's the lesson he was supposed to have learned? Can't he have made that message in a way that did not also advantage him? Couldn't he have just put something on Twitter or any other platform which was not monetized and brought about, like maybe wrote an article on Medium or something and had this type of exposure that did not also give him a major boost. But he but he did that immediately after the incident, right? He he did put out the apology. He put out, I'm recusing myself from the public for an indefinite amount of time. This is the lessons I have learned. Here's where I have a lot more to learn. And then he did disappear for a good amount of time. And now he's back. I guess my question is, do we have a problem with the amount of time he was gone? Do we not think he should ever have come back or ever profit? Or is it specifically the problem that he's profiting off of this incident? I knew he, I knew he had come back and I was like, figures, but I wasn't like that upset about it. But the idea that he is turning this into a personal success now is what's actually quite upsetting. So yeah, I I have a lot of problems with the fact that he is specifically getting to be the I've learned person in this scenario and then also getting the Grammy as a result of it. But so what if, and again, ah, this what's frustrating is we'll never know, but let's say he, he is genuine about what he's learned. 
He's genuine about, let's be real. He has a platform, whether we like it or not. And his platform and his audience are probably the people who would need to hear something like that. If everything was authentic and he came back and he did that same special without the intention of making money, without the intention of getting a Grammy, those things happened incidentally. Would we still have a problem with it? I might still, but not to the degree that I do currently. See, because my thing is, what's the point of cancel culture or what's the point of sending this this message to people who have made mistakes if it's not to improve and to educate and to fix some of these mindsets? We talked about positive societal shifts. If we are successful in making a positive societal shift, isn't what that would look like literally seeing people like him come back and say things like this? Again, I think that it probably was warranted for him to come back and say things, but it didn't have to be in that setting. And I think that I would prefer a lot of people interrogating their assumptions about what is and isn't appropriate before they undertake the action. This is a conversation that another non-comedian I follow in the media is constantly experiencing is I do a thing and then everyone gets mad and then I have to explain my way out of it. And it's like, why don't you just, I don't know, ask people outside your echo chamber for once, if this is a good idea, check in with marginalized groups before you put together your act and go on HBO with it. Is it that hard to get feedback before you do something that is going to set people off and piss the Kellys of the world off? Well, I mean, my answer to that, I think would be yes, it is that hard just because there are the Kellys of the world. There are the Joshes of the world. And at the end of this conversation, if there's anything that we've learned, it's that we we can agree in certain places, but I do think that we have a, a very different mindset when it comes to this topic. And that that's probably what makes it so hard. But perhaps it makes it so interesting too. <laughs> and at the end of the hour, neither of us have, have murdered each other. The thing that you could always do is um, go and criticize these comedians if you don't like them on Twitter. Even though, as Dave Chappelle says, I don't give a fuck because Twitter isn't a real place. Twitter is not only a real place, it is the only place for me. <laughs> One more thing for us to disagree on. But speaking of Twitter, if you'd like to make comments on this episode, let us know what your mindset is. Do you think there are limits to how far jokes can go or limits to what subject material jokes should be covering? If you have opinions on what the response to crossing of those lines should be, you can let us know at our Twitter, which is very real and at IndubitablyPod, as well as our very real Facebook at IndubitablyPod. And to show that even though we do have these disagreements from time to time, ultimately, this is still a, a collaborative and friendly podcast partnership. Let's try to let's try to find common ground with at least one or two comedians we actually do agree that we both like. All right, let's go ahead and throw out a name and I'll let you know. I'll give you my thumbs up or thumbs down. So just putting a comedian out there that I think you have to like. I'm betting we can find common ground with Nick Kroll. Oh, man. I know you said that he had you laughing until you were in pain. I'm not a fan. That is so surprising. Okay, okay. Let me think of another comedian. Uh, Eugene Merman. I don't even know who that is. That might be the one you got to force me to watch. You don't know Eugene Merman? Okay. Well, how about um, Mitch Hedberg? Oh, yeah. Mitch Hedberg. Okay. We can end on that one. Mitch Hedberg's amazing. 
<laughs> I love Mitch Hedberg. I'm just going to read one of his perfect little one-liners that nobody ever got offended by. And I think we can all agree that he was gone way too soon from this world. This shirt is dry clean only, which means it's dirty. 